to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I'd like you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 12. An update to the announcements of earlier. My father has texted and said the tie looks nice. I called him last Sunday and I said, uh, I said, did you hear me talk about the tie at the end of service? And he said, no. I said, why not? He said, you preach too long. He said, I had to get over to our service, start at 11 o'clock. So I decided to go ahead and deal with it now at the beginning because who knows how long I'll go. Luke chapter 12. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is a passage of Scripture that we confess today as one that is not easy to hear. And we might shy away from it. But we pray that today we would pause to hear, to answer, to change to be moved by what you are calling us to be. And truly we can say the cross is wonderful. Not simply as an expression of our thanks for the salvation which it rendered, but for the gift and model of life to which it beckons us. Oh Lord, give me the words that those who have gathered to hear from you today need. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We concluded our look at the Nomad Disciples' hope last week by discussing the need to be prepared and observant for God's breaking into the situations both personally that you and I are encountering, but really more broadly into human history. To always be aware and prepared 
that God is at work. Such observational awareness is not to be confined, though, to a continuous look through some set of binoculars or spyglass. One can be constantly on the lookout, and because of the perspective that they hold, miss out on God's approach or God's arrival or what is God is doing once he arrives. If you are always faced in one direction, you can say, I am on the lookout. But if somebody comes from behind you, you missed it. I believe this is at the heart of what Jesus is warning the growing crowd around him concerning this morning. Notice verses 54 and 50 through 56. He said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Beloved, how is your perspective this morning when it comes to interpreting the times? Are you faced in one direction or are you faced in a multitude of directions? The problem Jesus tells us in the text is that while we are accomplished at seeing so many things, we are not generally accomplished at seeing what is in front of us and we miss it entirely. Some of us have reason to do this though because of our natural inclinations on perspectives. A friend of mine told me just this week that I am in his life because he is a committed optimist and he needs someone like me to bring him down to earth. I understood that to mean that I'm a committed pessimist then. Some of our perspectives are skewered by the perspectives, by the experiences that have shaped us. We see something and it seems like something that has happened to us before and so it changes how we are viewing the current. And some of us are hampered in our perspectives in our interpretation to see what is in front of us this morning simply because of the enormity of what we are currently facing and it is obstructing all view for us because that is all that we can see. Sadly, for whatever the reason is for our misaligned perspectives, it affects, Jesus says, on us are very consequential because they throw us off course from the direction that we should be going. When Jesus levels the accusation here of you hypocrites, he is telling them 
that you are supposed to be going in one direction, but quite clearly, for whatever reason, you are going in another direction. You want everybody to think you are going in the right direction, but really you are going in the opposite of the right direction. This is a frightening course, beloved. This is a frightening course to be on because it not only means that we miss God breaking in as we talked about last week and because of that we we can be affirmed in our hope but it also means that we are moving further and further away from reality. Let us recall that as we began this travel narrative in Luke so many weeks ago that we talked about that where God is, that is reality. And we can move, in any, if we move further and further away from God, it is a denial of reality. An inability to adequately perceive reality means that we aren't asking the right questions for the situations that we are encountering. We are not seeking the substantive knowledge that we need for the situations that we encounter. And thereby we are not doing the things that we should do to address the felt and perceived needs of the world around us because they are living in reality. It means that we have lost touch ultimately. And isn't that a great descriptor of the church in our society today? It has lost touch. We say that the world outside of the walls of the church have lost touch, that they have moved away from us. But I don't think that's true. Our lack of perspective has caused us to fail to see that God is still at work in the world around us, that God is still showering it with fresh blessings and fresh graces every day, that God is still speaking in the world around us. And because we, we are in a difficult place of our perception, we think that they are moving away from us when really it is us moving away from them. God is still inhabiting the world. We are withdrawing because of our flawed perspectives. And so how do we regain our perspective this morning? Well, first, we must recognize that it is the right time. Did you notice what Jesus says there at the end? But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? How do you not know how to interpret the reality that is there? If the world ever needed a renewed and refreshed church that seeks to engage it around it, that seeks to answer the questions that the world is facing, that seeks to be a presence of God and a prophetic voice to the issues around us, it is now. But if we are to do that, we must properly interpret the times as Jesus calls us to here. Secondly, we need to pray 
for Jesus to bring the fire. Notice verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. You have to be careful about praying this prayer. I've told you that before. I prayed for Enfield to catch fire and it really did. We see fire as destructive. We see fire as something that comes in and wipes everything away. But it was through the fire that, at Enfield that I learned that fire can be restorative. That fire it really is nature's way and nature's provision to bring fresh growth and renewal. It is how the, the underbrush and the things that are dead on the forest floor is taken away so that new growth can come up through and find itself a fresh expression of life. Isn't that what the church in our world needs today? Isn't that what the church needs where the undergrowth that would obscure our ability to correctly perceive and to see is gone? Where the dead branches that would get in our way from seeing are burned away? Oh, but fire is so scary, we may say. But beloved, let me remind you this morning that the church was birthed in fire. That it was in the upper room on the day of Pentecost that fire fell and the church was birthed. And so fire went out from that upper room and out into the streets and the gospel was preached and that fire spread on that dry ground literally all around the world. Jesus says here that he has come to cast fire on the earth to bring about that new refreshing, that new growth. And if Jesus has come to do that, then that, should that not be our advocation as well? Shouldn't we pray that to happen so that we can have the perspective that we need? But notice also that Jesus does one other thing. He says in verse number 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. We know what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the cross. But he refers to it as a baptism. And so we should pray for a baptism. A fresh baptism of the ethics of the cross. A fresh baptism of the model of the cross in each of our lives because we should seek to model Jesus each and every day and therefore we should be people who live a, a, a cross-like existence because so much flew from the cross. The cross, beloved, this morning unleashed a baptism of holiness. A what? You know, very often you and I define holiness by what we don't do. You know, the old phrase, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't cuss, and you don't date girls that do, and therefore you are holy. You don't wear this, 
you don't wear that. You don't go to the movies on Sunday. My grandmother defined holiness by not taking the trash out so that the neighbors could see on Sunday afternoon. She also hated it when we went to the movies. We live in a culture today in evangelicalism which defines holiness by what we don't do. Yet the cross shows us Jesus displaying holiness by doing something. Something that was counter to his best interests but was for the good of all. He lived his life as a sacrifice. It wasn't that he was keeping something and not doing something. The cross is an example of what happens when you do do something and you do put others ahead of yourself for the value of the gospel. Beloved, can you imagine if the world saw holiness in those terms today? If, it just, if the world understood holiness as an example of what we are for instead of what we are always against. If the world understood holiness as defined by actions that were lived out in counter-instinctual ways in a world that always operates in self-consumed and self-serving instinct. Do we not think that the world would change? But it wasn't simply a baptism of holiness that was shown forth on the cross. It was also a baptism of justice. Jesus was willing for justice to be accomplished and so He went to the cross. Because it was on the cross that God's justice was finally rendered. God's justice for all of the wrong that society had done up to that point, at that point, and for all time. God's wrath was attended to by Jesus being, as John tells us in his first epistle, the propitiation for our sins. Jesus goes to the cross and He, the innocent Lamb, takes the spot of the guilty. Jesus, who did not deserve to go to the cross, went and the ones who did deserve it did not. Those for whom the full wrath of God should have been outpoured did not receive His wrath. They simply received justice. Beloved, are we so willing to pursue justice in our world today that we are willing to do the things necessary to right the wrongs that are around us? even when it is at great cost to ourself, even when maybe it doesn't affect us? Did Jesus go and face the cross for what He did? No. It's for what you and I did. And yet He turned back and brought justice. You and I very often travel through this world and say, well, that doesn't concern me. That isn't about what I am doing. That has no effect on my life. Why should I be concerned? Why should I be concerned 
about education in this country because children, I don't have any children. I don't even have any grandchildren. Why should I be concerned about health care? Because I have great health care. Why should I be concerned about any number of things? Because I am living the good life. And the answer, beloved, is the cross tells us that a baptism of justice occurred and it should occur through each of us each and every day. But it was not simply a baptism of justice. It was a baptism of love. 1 John tells us that we know love only through the cross. Jesus' willingness to put others ahead of Himself is a declaration, a firm declaration of love for all time. He didn't do it just to, to satisfy the need for justice. He did it out of a great and overwhelming love, a love that the Father has had for all time, for all humanity, a love that was shared with the Son, a love that is so great that the baptism, the only way to experience it is to be brought into right standing with God and to share in that love and to experience that perfect love that exists with God that we may know love. Can you imagine if the world saw love today? Can you imagine a world that knows only hate? A world in which this week a, a misguided young man consumed with hate for something that occurred before he was even born attacked a man in New York because of what he had written. Can we imagine a world where people just don't kill people to kill people? Where people don't look and, and, and just consign people to death willy-nilly as seems to go off so often happen in the streets of our country and around this world. Can we imagine what it would be like if a baptism of love were to break out as just the baptism of love was shown on the cross? How would our world be different? Oh, but some are unlovable. Yes, I know. And that's why a baptism of grace also poured forth from the cross. You see, the love that was shown on, a, on the cross went out on all that all may experience grace. I know some theologians may think that that grace and that love was limited, but it is not the case. We like to limit grace. We like to limit who is the recipients of grace. We think that they can get grace when they have their lives together. We think that they can get grace when they do everything according to what we perceive to be the right dictates. But while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died on the cross for each of our sins that we may experience grace now. Before we ever breathe a breath, there was grace sufficient for our salvation and that grace has continued to abound across the annals of history. And the only time that it is unabounding is when the church of God forgets that fact. 
that it is free and available because that de cross declares it. It's free and available for all, whether we think they deserve it or not. It is free and available for all. No matter what they have done or what they are doing or what they may yet do, grace is there, the cross says to us. Because ultimately, the baptism that flows forth from the cross is a baptism of compassion. The cross is the greatest act of compassion ever because it was done for those who couldn't do for themselves. No one, no one could answer to God's justice because it took a perfect sinless sacrifice to answer for God's justice and every single one of us have done wrong we have already discounted ourselves but yet there was Jesus we've already said no one really knew love until they come to the cross. Just as John wrote in his epistle. So how can they know what love is apart from the cross? And the compassion that flows out. If they are left in the ignorance of what false love is. Until they have found God's grace. Even though they had no clue that they needed it because of their personal notions of holiness and the fact that they still were not holy. The cross is an act of compassion. The cross sends itself out, its message out to all because none realize that they need it. Ignorance abounds in the world and ignorance abounded on that Friday so long ago in which the cross was, erect, uh, was erected on a hillside and the creator of the universe willingly allowed himself to be nailed to it. Ignorance abounded and yet the cross through the compassionate baptism of the cross says that ultimately the cross reigns. And it still can, beloved. The baptism of the cross can still reign in each life if we would but unleash it unto the world and let it fly, splash over ourselves. And as it splashes over us, splash onto everyone else that they would understand holiness and they would understand justice and they would understand love and they would understand grace and they would understand compassion and they would understand their ignorance and they would leave behind their ignorance and find knowledge in the adoration of the Son and the Father. There is though a danger in doing this. 
There's a danger in, in being able to correctly interpret the times, a danger in being prayerful for fire, a danger in saying, Lord, I want to experience afresh that baptism that occurred on the cross. Jesus warns them of that in verse 51. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her mother-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. These are relationships, beloved, of obligation. And yet the obligation has caused fracture. Why? Because of this fire and baptism that Jesus is foretelling. Because the cross is dangerous. A lifestyle of the cross is dangerous. A perspective of the cross is dangerous. A reminder to us all that it initially set off a revolution around the world which completely upended all that was known. Ultimately, it would bring about the, the complete reversal of ancient Rome. And it still has caused revolutions far and wide. The people, though, that throughout history have once again found themselves taking up the perspective of the cross, be it ever so dangerous, have been called by those around them heretics, unrighteous. It's brought division just as Jesus said. And yet here each of us are today because at some point in history we have met up with someone who was impacted by that baptism of the cross and that fire which Jesus met and it did not dam up within them and it was not quenched and so that message of the gospel and of the cross came flooding into our life. And changed our perspective. Beloved, we live in a time in which we want to be comfortable, but this is not a time to be comfortable. It is a, it's a misinterpretation of the times to say that it is a time for the church to be comfortable. It is a time for the church to preach a message that is comfortable. It is a time for the church to preach a message and for God's disciples to live out a message that makes everyone uncomfortable. This is the normal path of the nomad disciple, Jesus tells us. Oh, I'm not real sure about this. I'm not either. You're liable to be called all sorts of things. In my career, beloved, I have been called uh, 
a raging liberal. I have been called a right-wing nut job. I have been called a heretic and an apostate. I have been called lots of things and occasionally I have been called child of God. All those names were delivered to me by people in the church. Why? Because they took some bit of umbrage against this perspective of the cross. I can't say that I've always done it right. I've got it wrong more often than not. But I do know this, that history is not changed unless we change our perspective and gather upon ourselves an understanding afresh of the perspective of the cross. The world is going to find itself in increasing danger. And we can pick which danger we want to today. We can pick the danger of doing nothing and face those consequences. Or we can face the danger of the nomad disciples' perspective. The danger of allowing the baptism of the cross to flow through us for the prayer of fire to be breathed by us. And then we can see a fresh, a changed world. They may call us all sorts of things in the process, but beloved, that is not our call. Our call is to be faithful. Our call is to be faithful to what God has called us. Will you live dangerously today and thereby change the world? Let us pray. We have sung or sang, O oh Lord, that the wondrous cross bids us to come and die and find that we might truly live. So Lord, I pray today that we would do that and that you would rid our minds and our hearts and our eyes of inappropriate perspectives. And that we would simply have a perspective like Jesus had as he looked down upon the cross as love and grace and compassion and justice and holiness were displayed so clearly. And that we would pick up that mantle, that cross being Lord, and let it live through us today. We cannot risk the danger of not doing it, Lord. So make clear the danger to us. Knowing that if we choose your danger, you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that the same words that were expressed on the sea are the same words that you express to us now. Be not afraid. 
For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.